Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. I do want to start off, there's these, there's these two principles that I see in this message, and I think they'll go well. Um, but one of the principles is that if you can see it in the Son, in the Lord Jesus, that it is for you. You know, you hear me talk about this a lot, that John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So not only is He with God, but he's also, He also is God eternally, and eternally with God. You know, the Godhead is, is this family unity, this beautiful thing um, that is ought to be our reality. But also He's the Word or the communication, the express image, it says in other, other portions. It's like He is portraying God to us. He is the more sure word of prophecy, even in the ways that, even through the old and sometimes through the new especially, um, sometimes we see God in a way that he is not. If we don't see it in Jesus, it's not really of God. Amen. He's the key that unlocks the map, the legend that unlocks the map, you know this? And, and he's the, he is pure prophecy, yeah. Revelation 19. Then the testimony of Jesus is the very spirit of prophecy. He is our grid. Christology is our theology. It is, it is the way we see everything. And, and, but also, if you can see it, you can have it, you know. Our Father who in heaven, speaking of this inheritance, let, your, let the kingdom come. I remember in John 14, verse 9, he's talking to Scott's disciples. This will be a good one to remember for today. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Remember this? How can you ask me this, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen me, Father. What does this show me, the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen him. He goes on in John 14, I mean, in John 14, verse 14, uh, 11, 12, and 13, says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, and this is popular these days, but he who believes in me the works that I do, he will do also, and even greater works than these, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Your inheritance is now as a firstborn son. Our inheritance is on the inside of this Messiah and inside of Jesus. We are, we are seen, we are, we are related to in this way. We are, our inheritance has been granted to us by nothing we've done, but by, but by who He is. Amen. And if you've seen Him, you've seen, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And not only that, if you've believed in this reality, the works that Jesus did, it's actually a green light for you to live the same way. Right. Profound. Sometimes it's controversial because it's not the majority of people's experience. But the, the Bible is elevated above human experience. It is the utmost truth. You know. Jesus said, I love in John 5, we'll just do those two. I have a few, but John 5, verse 19 and 20. This is Jesus being, air quotes, in trouble with the religious leaders for healing a guy on the Sabbath who was crippled for a very long time laying on a mat. They found out about it and said, you know, basically he got in trouble for being a Sabbath breaker. He did something impossible, freed somebody from a, a condition of being paralyzed. And instead of like, dude, that was awesome. It was like, you're in trouble because <laughs> it's on our special day that we have somehow come to believe that God is a certain way and, he, and, and, and he's told us not to allow you to do this. Little did they know it was actually God doing it. But Jesus says something, most assuredly I say to you. Now listen to this in the context of the story, but also as these eternal spiritual beings created in the image of their Father, you know, of their eternal Father, the Father of lights, and listen to what He's actually saying as the Word of God. Believe in, uh, most assuredly I say, the Son can do nothing of Himself, but that what He sees the Father do. For, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater things than these that you may marvel, that your heads may be unlocked, that your minds may be blown. Think of that. 
And where is Jesus talking about himself? He is, yes, and he's speaking in the third person in a very strange way. And if you read this in the context of John 14, when he's talking to his disciples later on, and then you got John writing both of these and putting two and two together, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen your dad. You've seen the one in whose image you were created. And then you look back in John 5, and he's saying, the son can't do nothing of himself, talking to us about himself, but also to us as humans, but what he sees the father do. He's saying, if you've seen me do it, you've seen the father do it. If you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the father. I am the ultimate green light of what you can do. The knowledge of good and evil caused people to look at God through a lens of a rule book that told them what they could not do. You can't heal that guy on the Sabbath, and he can't take up his bed and walk, because that counts as work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Their interpretation. But Jesus is the ultimate green light of what we can do and what we can have Amen. in God. Amen. And it's a completely different game. Amen. You feel? Amen. So with that in mind, um, the principal one that I want to talk about, if you can see it, you can have it. If you can see it in the sun, you can have it. It, it, it goes so well with so many scriptures that we love. 2 Corinthians 3.18, you know. He who has seen the Lord without a veil over his face is transformed into the same image from glory to glory. In other words, if you see him the way he truly is, it unlocks, it, it's a green light that unlocks and transforms you. There's something so profound, but when you truly see, when the eyes of your understanding are enlightened, that you may know the hope of his calling, when you, actually artic you can actually see him as he truly is, it does something to you. It transforms and changes you. Amen. And that's, that's the difference between this religion and every other one, where we're working to be something. In other words, in this, but in, on the contrary, in this one, we're beholding something that unlocks and changes us. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's not trying to change in order to be accepted. It's seeing something and being unlocked into our true inheritance. I'm going to try to make this work. So I want to talk about Elisha. I've wanted to for a few weeks, to be honest. He is like a hero of the Old Testament. You know, it's said that he had a double portion of Elijah. And we know Elijah was like the baddest man ever walking on the earth in those days. You know, he, what you would, in a way, he single-handedly delivered Israel from a major demonic principality that had his talons locked into the whole nation and was controlling it and cutting off the true voice and the eyes of God from the people by trying to kill all the prophets. Um, highly demonic, ushering in all kinds of worship of other deities and other beings in the high places. You know, this, this agenda to literally wipe the people of God out. But he had one faithful guy that was being fed by ravens. You know, you, you know all the stories of Elijah, all this really cool and famous stuff about him. And... Um, but Elijah had an apprentice. And when, you read the, and when you read the book of the Kings, first and second, it almost seems like Elijah didn't really want an apprentice. It, when I'm reading it, it almost seems like he wasn't all that nice to his apprentice. <laughs> He's kind of grumpy about him tagging along, which I think is great. But the, yeah, but the principle number two of the message and maybe we'll get into it, maybe we'll not. But is that the unoffendable heart, the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Give us this day and we forgive everyone. And give us forgiveness as we forgive everyone. This, this mentality of being unoffendable, it actually looks past the rejection of man and sees the acceptance of God, which is actually truly there, and enables him to walk into his inheritance. So that will be the principle too. So one is seeing it unlocks it. Seeing it, you can have it. The second principle is actually seeing through the facade, the facade of the projection of the bipolar rejection, knowledge of good and evil God into your true inheritance causes you to step into it. Stepping out of rejection, stepping into forgiveness. We'll see if it happens today in the message, but that's, that's the goal. That's good. So a little backstory. And I don't think it was all that long, maybe a few months ago, when we, we talked some about Elijah and the Jezebel uh, um, 
the prophets of Baal and, and how he called down fire on the altar, reset the altar of the Lord, turned the whole nation's heart back to God. He did, had this huge, incredible victory that happened to him. Um, but afterwards, and I think there's something in the language there, but in 1 Kings 19, it says Jezebel actually sends a messenger to Elijah, which is basically a threat how she's going to wipe him out. And um, I believe this to be highly demonic, possibly an actual demon or hybrid or something else like that, just the fact that it, that word messenger is there. It's the same as what we get as messenger for angels. But regardless, the message had so, the message had so much heat on it that Elijah gets up and goes out of town. And it's a kind of a confusing thing. You can probably look back. It's probably titled Elijah or Jezebel or something on the podcast. I don't want to redo it too much because I want to cover a lot. But, you know, he basically runs away for quite a while. Amen. Gets fed by the food of angels. And in that food, he goes for 40 days, which is incredible. It's not a fast. It's the strength of... It's like that lambness bread in Lord of the Rings. You know, they could eat that bread and it lasts for a long time. Anybody? Yeah, he got it from somewhere. But it's like he was eating something that lasted. He didn't have to pay, make no more pit stops. But anyway... All right, sorry, I'm going to nerd out a little bit, but he goes to the high mountain. He sees, you know, the earth, wind, and fire. The Lord's still small voice ends up speaking to him, which is the, the, the proc, it's proximity. You know, it's not like you got to be real quiet to hear God's voice. You know, it's like, no, if it's still small, that means he's actually really close to you. And that's the message he was telling Elijah. Elijah, you're not alone. I'm actually really close to you. I'm right here, buddy. To which Elijah kind of gains his confidence back and gets his mission, which is to go anoint several people, different kings, and, and actually a prophet that was in his place, which is kind of unusual because you don't have prophets being anointed in the Old Testament like this. So anyways, he gets, he gets a heads up. Your mission's not over. You are coming home. But go anoint this guy who's got a name, sounds kind of like yours. Should be easy to remember. His name is Elisha. And so it goes after him. So he goes and looks for this guy. And this Elisha character, the stories of him in the Old Testament, and maybe we'll do some in the next coming weeks. I'm not sure if we will or not. But just the intro of the guy in 1 Kings 19, after Elijah comes down off the mountain and he, you know, he travels back in, into town and, and he's searching this guy up, searching this guy out. He finds him and um, he recruits him. Let me see. In 1 Kings 19, verse 19, it says, He departed there and he found Elisha, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th. And so Elisha passes by him. And this is how he introduced himself. He takes his mantle off, which we know is like a hairy animal cloak, <laughs> a strange thing. And he throws it at him. How about that? How about you riding your John Deere? You're, you're, you're two oxen, you're plowing along, and, and some strange-looking dreadlock dude comes out hairy and wild with a wild look in his face and takes his clothes off and, wham, throws it on you. And you're just like, what's happening, you know? I think it's interesting. But, yeah, so he, it's, it's this mantle thing. It's this, it's this impartation of this mantle, this, this animal skin covering, which is a prophetic of the Lamb and the New Covenant and, and this reality and... You know, John the Baptist shows up, Dreadlock John shows up, dressed in the same way. They thought he might have been Elijah, which he wasn't. But I love the fact that Elisha's there plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. What do they say in tech? Go big or go home? That's, a, you know, that's enough oxen to pull this whole building off its foundation. They could, you know, that's, that's like power. That's a fleet. So he was wealthy. He was with the 12th. So he, he was behind the last, the last pair. He was most likely in his lineage, owned a lot of property, a lot of land. And he was, he was one of them go big type of guys. He had a, he had a huge vision. King Ranch. Yeah, well, King Ranch. Okay, yeah, it could have been. Let's put it in the Texas uh, uh, version here. Yeah. So um, Elisha passed by and just throws his clothes on him, his mantle on him. And it says, he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. In other words, almost like he just rode by and just threw it on him and kept going. Like, there I, know, I, there I picked him. You know, I did what you said. You know what I mean? What a character this guy is. He didn't, you know, doesn't sound like much communication. And so he runs after him. He says, and he says, please let me go kiss my, my mom and my dad and I'm going to follow you. 
which Elijah, Elijah says something strange to him. He says, go back and what have I done to you? And um, I've looked through so many translations. It's, you know, this is an ancient book, you know. But the way it appears, it's kind of like, I don't care what you do. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, go, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. You're going to check with me. I'm not, this isn't, I'm not doing this. This ain't on me. I, I didn't pick you. Like, I'm not doing this. It's God. You do whatever you want. It's between you and him, man. Go kiss your, kiss your mommy. Whatever, dude. You know what I mean? It's just kind of, it's, it kind of seems like that kind of attitude. And um, so he does. He, he, he turns back and he took the yoke of oxen, the, the, the pair that he was, and he, sw- he, he killed them. He slaughtered them. And he boiled their flesh using the equipment. So he destroyed his, his, his plow. And he had basically like a big barbecue, a feast for all the people, all the workers and all the people that were around. And he gave it to all the people and they ate. And then he rose and followed Elijah. Elijah. And I thought, man, what an interesting um, introduction to this guy that you're following and learning. And there's, a, there's, you know, there ends up, there's several of the prophets that weren't killed by Jezebel and Ahab. There's, there's all kind of, of interesting things that are going on. But Elijah's basically on his way out, and he's been called to anoint and bring this young guy with him. Throws the mantle on him. You know, it's charismatic circles. That's a real big deal these days. I want the mantle of this and that, whatever. You know, I think the mantle of the lamb is what we really want. But it's, it's prophetic, right? And so anyhow, you move into the second book of Kings, and it kind of starts this king... It says Moab, but he's also his Israeli king. It's kind of confusing, but this king named Ahaziah, uh, he fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria, and he was injured, you know. And so he actually sends some messengers himself to go inquire of Beelzebub, Beelzebub, the god of the flies in Ekron, this demonic being, um, if, he would, if he would recover from this terrible injury that he had. So he was in really bad shape, the king was. And, um, but the angel, uh, the angel or an angel of the Lord comes and speaks to Elijah and he says, hey, go meet the messengers of the king and say to him, by the way, is it because there's no God in Israel that you're sending for this, this pagan pile of witchcraft? To um, I don't think pile of witchcraft is the wording there, but you catch what I'm throwing. That, that you're going after Baalzebub? The word of the Lord is that you will not come down from the bed to which you've gone up. You actually are going to die. And um, so it's this yeah, kind of unpleasant thing. Like, yeah, you're going out. You're trying to connect with your pagan gods and, and as, 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 a, as a, the son of Jezebel and the son of Ahab, somebody whose parents had led Israel into complete apostasy. But really what they did is they led them into a place where they were vulnerable to an inheritance that was not theirs. And it was a dark inheritance. Catch it? Lined them out of their inheritance as the sons of God, prince with God, Israel, the very name of the nation, and and lined them up with some really dark things. And that's what they were about to catch. And so Elijah goes and gives, intercepts, his messengers and gives them this message. Hey, this is the problem. This is what's going on. You're actually not going to make it. And he, and he stamps it. He makes a pretty big point that like, you know, you shouldn't, you're going after pagans and you're the, lead, the leader of the, of the country. And this is one of the prophecies that, you know, Elijah had been given. You know, go anoint Elijah, go anoint Jehu, go and, you know, anoint all these different kings of Syria and whoever else. And they're going to get rid of the bad guys that are steering the people in the bad way. So it's interesting because they go and talk to the king, but he sends uh, basically a, a captain with 50 men back to them. And um, after they give him the message, he's like, what does he look like? And they, they told him, he's, got, he's hairy, he's, he's got this weird cloak on and all these things. What kind of man was he? And, they, and he's like, that's Elijah. So he, he sent to Elijah a captain, of 50, um, a captain with 50 of his men to actually go talk to him again. And so, so the 50 guys, or the 51 guys, they actually go to Elijah, and it just says that he was sitting up on a hill. So Elijah's sitting up there, sitting up on a hill, and they shout to him, Man of God, the king has said, come down. To which Elijah's answer, which is, this is pretty gangster, but he says, um, if I'm a man of God, it's like, oh, you want to 
come after a man of God now. Then you used to you were taking the nation under another God. You know, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. Boom! It happens, dude. So fire, Elijah's flame throwing from a hill on people that wanted to come and get him, right? So Elijah goes from this incredible prophet that everyone's afraid of. The whole nation is searching for him. Jehu's got people looking for him everywhere, but they understand that he was hidden, cloaked by God. So even he's by the, the brook, getting fed by ravens or wherever he was, they understood like supernaturally he was protected. This is deeper than any CIA, anything else. I mean, this guy was beyond human, you know, they couldn't take him out. Then he calls the fire down, turns the whole nation back. It's like, this is the baddest man in the world. But then he gets kind of tweaked out by Jezebel's witchcraft and by her threats against him. Goes to the mountain, meets, meets back up with God, and then comes back into his right mind. Now he's back to flamethrower again. So now he's sitting up on a hill doing who knows what. You know, sounds like, you know, Luke Skywalker in the new movies just sitting out there by himself on an island. Of course, those movies are terrible, but, you know... Still, they messed him up. But he's like sitting there, and these guys come, oh yeah, man of God, oh man of God, if I'm a man of God, how about this? Just flamethrowers them all, just boom. <laughs> so the king sends another captain in his 50, and Elijah's playing the same game. He's like, oh really? Boom, hits another 50, 51 with, with the flames. He's, so he's just up there, this is like the most powerful I was telling Nicole this story this week I was like what is the what was it like was it like uh, Captain Marvel or something like that and all the X-Men movies is like she comes and she's like this untouchable character well like dang if she would have been here we could have beat all the bad guys Thanos and all these people you know you know I don't follow that too much but I kind of remember it you know what I mean um, that didn't really seem to work very well I can tell but it was like he was he was stepping to a level of like this Captain I don't know Magneto or something to where like it's just like, he's to a powerful level that like, no one can really touch the guy. Now he's just fl flame balling, just boom. It's like, wow, this is the most powerful being on the earth, Elijah is. He's just stepped into another level. Then the third time, the captain of the 50 comes after he's done fired 100 of them, or 102, I don't know. And, and he's like, hey, okay, so listen, you burnt up a lot of people. Can you, can you spare my life? And it says, the angel of the Lord says, hey, it's okay. Don't be afraid. They're not, you know, he was taking it as they're coming after me to kill me and I'm not going to let them. Um, and he pleaded with him and, and angel tells him, Hey, go with him. Don't be afraid. So he goes and, and he delivers the message because you've sent messengers to inquire of bells above the God of Ekron. You know, you're in the place that you're in and yeah, you're going to die. And, um, so yeah, that's interesting, but I thought it was just kind of fun, but I think there's something to it of the level that Elijah got to, of a, a force in the earth aligned under the God of Israel that was literally more powerful than the entire Israeli army, and that's what they end up saying about him. He stepped into a level that the government would have to rely on a single person because he was in alignment with God, which I think it's like, man, that's, that's inspiring. But we start to move into the transition of 2 Kings 2, the next chapter, when Elijah is, is making his way out of this realm. You know, he's one person that didn't die, Enoch, right? If you look at in the beginning of Genesis, Enoch never died, he was taken. He stepped into a level of relationship, you know, no one comes to the Father except through me. He understood the cross somehow. He's in the book of Jude. You know, Jude's writing about Enoch's prophecies about the return of the Lord. It's like, golly, this guy, 6,000 years ago, 7,000, he's talking about the return of Jesus, and he never met Jesus. And how's this? He stepped into something that was out of this world. Well, now, Elijah seems to be next in line to leave the earth without dying, right? And so, you know, Elijah's saying to Elijah, and he says it a couple times, a few times, he's, he's, he's heading out. And he's going to the different areas where there's prophets and schools of prophets. And he's telling Elijah, hey, I need you please to stay here because the Lord's called me to, to go on to Bethel. To which Elijah says, hey, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'm not leaving you. 
And the sons of the prophets that were Bethel came to Elijah and were like, hey, do you know what's going to happen to you? You know, so they prophetically had some understanding that Elijah was going to be taken away. To which when they try to tell Elisha, he'd be like, hey, be quiet, just keep silent. I'm not talking to y'all. So anyways, that's interesting. Then Elijah says to him again, when he gets to that next place, he says, hey, Elisha, please, I need you just to stay here from here on out. Um, the Lord's sending me to Jericho. Elijah's got the same answer. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I won't leave you. And so they came to Jericho and the sons of the prophets were there and they did the same thing. He's like, do you know that your master is going to be taken? He's like, yeah, 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 be quiet. The third time, Elisha tries to ditch him again. He says, okay, Elijah, Elisha, please stay here. The Lord sent me onto the Jordan. To which he says, hey, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'm not leaving you. So the two of them went on and the 50 men of the sons of the prophets that were there in the Jericho region, they actually stood facing them from a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Again, I don't want to overteach this. You understand about the mystical reality of the Jordan River. You know, the, the Red Sea baptism coming out of uh, Egypt. They were singing about that today, the Song of Moses. Um, is, is literally in Egypt, Satan, sin, bondage, slavery. The baptism of that Red Sea is the baptism of salvation. You know, we're coming out on the other side, and the Red Sea swallowed the Egyptian army, everyone that kept them in the, in the identity of slavery. You know, they wandered the wilderness for quite a long time, a generation. Next thing you know, there was another baptism, which was this one was the crossing of the Jordan, where the Jordan River water went all the way back and stood, stood still in a heap at a city called Adam, right? Um, and I, I believe that's Joshua 5. Regardless, at a city called Adam, which was a prophetic picture of the fall, like everything from the fall, all the way back to Adam itself has been erased, and they were going into their promised land to the nation of Israel. And so... Here they were in this two river crossings of this baptism reality that was a prophetic picture for us. And even Jesus comes and, you know, his cousin John's baptizing him there. And he's being endowed by the Spirit. It's this prophetic picture of stepping into the authority of power um, to bring heaven into the earth. But in this, it's kind of backwards. Because they're, cross, they're leaving. They're going the back way, Jericho, and then crossing out into the wilderness. Oh, I'm in a wilderness season, brother. Amen. He's like, yeah, there's, there's something mystical and profound about the wilderness. Make way, you know, John, John would say. And so here they are. They're crossing back into the wilderness, going into this unseen realm that everyone was afraid of. But it was, it was the bus stop that Elijah was going into heaven from. Yeah. So Elijah, you know, it's... he. Elijah takes his mantle, the one that he threw on his little buddy, right? This hairy mantle, and he slaps the water with it. Bang! And then Jordan parts again. And um, it divided the water this way and that. Divided it more like the Red Sea, because when it divided in Joshua, it went back. This time it just, whoop, just parted. And all the 50 prophets are watching them, sons of prophets. And they crossed over on dry ground. That's interesting. It's not even muddy. Like nice dry ground. So it was when they crossed over, Elijah asked something to Elisha. And it's so interesting to me because it's like, now he seems, seems to be being nice to him, but he's like, ask, what may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? And um, Elisha says, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. It's like, let the, the anointing and the authority that you have and that you walk in, all I ask is to have double of that. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, Michael Jordan, I want to be twice as good as you are in every category. You know what I mean? It's just like, huh? You know what I mean? But this is somebody that doesn't think in a limited way, right? He's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. You know what I mean? Enough to like pull down a, a skyscraper. This is a different bird. He's had every opportunity to feel rejected, Right? Every opportunity to be, well, you know, to feel rejected, to have his feelings hurt, and be like, all right, you can go. To allow what he feels somebody thinks about him cause him to settle for less than what he knows God actually has for him. Amen. To allow, how about this, his experiences with a person 
to cause him to believe that God is like that person more than the way God actually is. This is every stronghold. You know, hallowed be your name. Let us see you as you truly are. Let your name be separate from, from the football coach or the, the mean stepdad or the abusive mom or the, you know what I mean? The pastor that was controlling and stole money from me and did all the scandals. Like, it's like, hey, let your name, where all that's been attributed to God, let all that be pushed off and let us see the one. If you've seen me, you've seen dad. I and dad are one. It's like, whoa, dude. You want theology? It's Christology. It's the Christ. It's Jesus. It is the image of God manifest. It undoes a lot of things and makes certain passages controversial, whatever. But it always works and it bears fruit and it transforms people's hearts and minds and being. Mm -hmm. So Elijah, I want double. To which I, I love it. Elisha's like, you've asked a hard thing. <laughs> like, really? Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Like, hey, I don't know if that's a request that can happen from God or not. But if you see it, it's yours. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. If you see it in the Son, if you see it in the Lord, if you see your Father, then you, the Son, have been given a green light. Deuteronomy 21, I believe it's 14 or 17 because it's kind of scratched on the side of my Bible, unfortunately. But it literally talks about the right of the firstborn son, how the firstborn son, by law, was to be given a double portion compared to all the other kids. You know, Even if it was a concubine son or whatever it was, it's like, hey, it doesn't matter. That's your firstborn. He gets a double portion. You know, It was very protected right, and it's very cool. Unless you sold it for a bowl of stew, it was yours. And that's the way it is now, honestly. Unless you sell your inheritance for that which gratifies you immediately like Esau, the, the attitude that Esau I've hated, that, that mentality that, that shuns the eternal inheritance, it, it, it's yours. And the beautiful thing is all the promises of, in Jesus Christ are yes and they're amen. So we're inside of the Son of God. You know I mean? We're seated in Him in the heavenly places. So that inheritance is to us. So oh, something else right there. Yeah, yeah but, you know, so it's like, he, he's actually, he's articulating, like, he has this big inheritance. He's got these, these um, oxen and all this stuff. But it's like, he's like, I want the spiritual inheritance that comes from the firstborn son. That's what he's asking. And so it's something different that he's seen. He's left his inheritance to gain his inheritance, his true inheritance, and he sees it more. So even when he's seeing this projection of, of what seems like rejection, it's like, it's cool. I want that. And he looks back. He's, let, me go, let me go kiss my mom and dad. He's like, what's, what's it to me? What have I done? Kind of like, this is God. This isn't me. This isn't personal. This ain't personal, buddy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that stuck. God wanted this. Just like David. David's like, even if my father and mother forsake me, you won't. And David knew this. David's dad tried to hide him. From Samuel to become king. I mean, well, there's one other kid, but I mean, he's kind of from a girlfriend of mine, and he's 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 watching some sheep. You know what I mean? Like, well, bring him. You, you know what I mean? David understood. He was accepted by God, even when somebody else tried. It doesn't matter. My inheritance is of the Lord. That's why he. That's why, like last week, when when Absalom runs him runs him off, he says, "Hey, God will bring me back. If it's not of the Lord." Didn't have to fight for his position. Didn't take things personal. Just like Elijah. Elisha. So it's cool. As they continued and talked, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. This is, this is when he goes out into the wilderness with Elijah, if you can see this, and he sees what is real. Yeah. He sees the authority, because that's what this is. This is, Elijah says, if you see, it when I'm if you see me when I'm taken, then, you'll, then you can have it. This is what he's referring to. Some people are like, well, he caught the mantle. It's like, yes. And that was, that was something. But this is what it's talking about. He saw the chariots of fire. He saw the spiritual authority that Elijah walked in. He saw the reason 
that Elijah was who he was, the deliverer of the entire nation. When the army of Israel wasn't delivered, Elijah actually was. And he saw that, and he shouted when he saw it. The fire appeared, the horses of fire had separated them, which I believe he's like seeing him by the Spirit in his, in his true authority and who he truly was because of the way he walked with God. It separated the two, and Elijah was taken up by a whirlwind in the heavens. Just whoosh. Got, you know, this is just such a brilliant, beautiful thing to watch like a movie. It says, when Elisha saw it, he cried out, My father, my father, said it twice, double portion, inheritance of the son. And um, as, he, as, as he saw him go up and, and he said, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw them no more. And he took hold of his own clothes, tore them into pieces, his old garments, done with this outfit. And he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the Jordan, rolled it up and whipped the water and said, where now is the Lord God of Elijah? To see if it was really on him. Boom! And that thing parted for him. And he was back in the game. He was, he, and then he was coming in out of the Jordan, out of the wilderness, if you will even if it was for an hour or two, in power into the seen realm, out of the unseen realm, because of authority. I think this is such a... uh, There's so much more, and I don't think that I'm going to be able to do it. I hoped I was, but there's just so much there. But even when he shouts, My father, my father, the chariot, he's literally calling Elijah that. I never knew that before. It's almost like when you see LeBron or Michael Jordan, oh my gosh, you know, Michael, the GOAT, the GOAT, the greatest, the Tom Brady, the greatest of all time. You know what I'm saying? He's saying the chariot of, the chariot of Israel, the defender, the, the, the magneto of Israel, the one who's kept the superhero that's, that's guarded our entire nation. But he saw him as he truly was. And it's like that same thing. If you see me when I'm taken up, then you'll have what you've asked, which is a double version of that. <clears throat> Elijah comes out of there, you know, he passes Jericho. There's a lot of controversy. If you just want to read through that story yourself, it's really fun to read. A lot of the sons of the prophets are like, well, maybe he dropped him somewhere else. Blah, blah, blah. And Elijah's like, dude, it's not. He's like, he knew he's in heaven. He had a different vision, view of them. It's like, you didn't see the chariots of fire. This dude, this thing is gone. He's, he is not in this realm anymore. And they kept bugging him so much, he's like, fine, go look for him. And they never found him. They came back, and it's kind of like, I told you you would never find him. You know, it's funny just to see how normal these guys were. Then you got the two bear story. Everyone likes that. Nobody likes that. Everyone's scared of that. But, you know, it's like the, what is it, 42 youths come out after him. And everyone's like, oh, that's God of the Old Testament, the bipolar God, and kills 42 little, little kids in the kids' ministry. It's like, dude, no. It's a mob of, like, young men is what it really was. You know what I mean? Go on up, bald head. And it's like, hey, he's out of the way. The last line of defense is out of the way. This is my belief. You, you think you got what he had? He's calling down fire, fireballs on people. No one can touch him. He he's, rebukes those cats by a curse, and, and two bears come out and rip them all apart. You know, so there's that. Good thing it's not family service. You know what I mean? But it was a manifestation. It was like, hey, like, hey, there ain't going to be no coup to take this man out. He's representative of the Lord. And the stuff that he stepped into with like the Syrian king attacking and all these different things is like they would say it was as if he had intelligence of the enemy's kings inside of their bedroom and war rooms when they would try to attack Israel. He was so, he was so, I mean, he was curing water that was poisoned. He was reversing droughts. He was raising dead people like Elijah did, a little boy, you know, like Elijah stepped into this thing like, even if it was just like small, like widows and stuff, he was helping them in super miraculous, powerful ways. Or if it was great national stuff, he was like stepping up in a national defense. And the king, the king of Israel even called him father. This isn't like, you know, Joe Biden's not calling me talking about, hey, father, father, <laughs> give me advice. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's just like the king, the leader of that nation was yielded to him. And when Elisha ended up passing away, the king said the same thing. My father, my father. The chariot and horsemen of Israel is like, man, our, our most valuable defense is passing. You know what I mean? Man, they threw a dead body in his grave. 
in Elijah's grave, Elisha's grave after he died, and his body came back to life from touching his bones. You know, dude is just on a different level. But one of my favorite stories, too, is the perspective of Elijah's servant. When the king of Syria comes and he tries to have him arrested and killed, sends, sends his army literally against one man. You literally see the chariots and horsemen in 2 Kings 6 after the whole axe head thing. And, and I won't go into it, but the servant of the Lord wakes up that morning and he walks outside and he sees that the, the army of Syria is surrounding Elijah. Or I'm sorry, Elisha. And they're going to kill them. And Elisha walks out. I mean, I guess I picture it like yawning, just, just woke up, you know, in a robe or something, right? But he just walks out and he's just not afraid at all. He was on a different level of confidence because of what he had seen and what he received. He saw, he saw in a different realm. And so in his servant in, in 2 Kings 6 is like, Elisha, like, what are we going to do? Alas, alas, what shall we do? He says, don't fear. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he says, Lord, I pray to open his eyes that he may see. And it says, the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw, behold, the mountain was full of what? The chariots and the fire. The same thing that he had seen with Elijah, the double portion of it. It's like, hey, we're, we're rolling with a, a different level of authority than these little earthling, uh, these little earthling armies. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's funny. It's not an alien, but you catch what I'm throwing. The army was kind of alien because it's like there's, a, there's chariots and horses of fire all around that Elijah knew he had. So he just wouldn't even, he wouldn't go into fear and panic and all this stuff. He knew that he was covered. He was at peace like he was the whole time following Elisha. But it was that double, it was that double portion sonship reality that he had that he walked in a kingdom peace that was unshakable. He was obviously not flawless because he ended up passing away unlike Elijah did. You know what I mean? This is an old covenant prophet, not a new. But we've stepped into something that's called to be far more glorious than anybody on this side of the book. But these things are written for us to see it, you know. And so he, the chariots of fire all around. But I love this, what the double portion, here's a good little contrast of the double portion. The chariots of fire, he didn't call the fire down to whom consume the army of Syria. He asked the Lord, you know. He asked the Lord, strike these people with blindness. And he blinded the army. And then he, he led them into Samaria where the king of Israel was. And the king, the king of Israel is all fired up. My father, my father, shall I kill all these people? He's like, no, 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 no. We set food before them and then send them out on their way. You know, I love that. Think about the double portion from Elijah, who is untouchable fireballing people. <laughs> prophets of Baal, you know, he, you know, the altar thing, prophets of Baal. And the next thing you know, captain is a 50. Bang, bang, bang. He's just flamethrowing. The same horses of fire are there with Elijah, Elisha, I'm sorry, right? But he didn't access them, and that, it, was, it was a prophetic picture of that authority, the same authority. But he didn't consume them. He actually struck them blind, led them into a place of safety, and actually fed them, and then released all of them, prepared a great feast. And it says, so the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. He did something different. It's interesting, right? A higher authority was not to take life. It was actually to preserve it and show mercy. Isn't that cool? I think that's a prophetic picture of the new covenant too. But the offended heart, you know, the wounded, the rejected, rejection is a, is, is, is a tough one because the rejection that, that's unhealed gets transferred to God. And even if it doesn't get transferred to Jesus, we can find a way to transfer it to the Father, as if Jesus and the Father are not one. That's a dangerous place to be. It's a lot of confusion. But then we manifest something that is of the knowledge of good and evil and not of the true light. But there's healing there. And you see this walk with Elisha that's like he didn't let rejection steer him from his pursuit. You know? 
offense, and you've probably heard me say this over the years, I've seen it so often that offense is so much, so often, it is really just an excuse to continue to discontinue pursuing the Lord and walking in unity. I've seen it so many times. Well, I'm offended. I'm a I was like, yeah, it's just an excuse. It's not that it's not valid and something didn't happen. But when we let, when we refuse to release forgiveness, and sometimes there needs to be a boundary or whatever, but when we let something like that steer our walk rather than the, the complete and total acceptance of our Father who's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, um, we've chosen to become victims in this walk rather than the victors that He's created us to be. You know? Like there, there, is no, there is no step back in this life. And I think Elisha really demonstrated that. I'll tell you, really demonstrated it was Jesus. And that's the second portion of this, but, you know, the girl he called a dog and all that. That's a real fun story, but I, I'm going to have to hold off. Um, but let me see if I kind of cut this short for now, some of our points. Um, our Father, the point of the message and the point of those things, one was the two principles, one of being able to see through sometimes the muck or the distorted image into the, to the image of our true Father causes us to have an unoffendable heart and continue pursuing Him and stepping into our full inheritance that's real. You know, It's like you got James, Jesus' half-brother, talking about rejoicing about trials and all these different things. Peter 4, 1 Peter 4, like he's like, you know, you know, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that beset you and, and knowing everybody goes through this. And it, you know, th- this, this mentality of like, hey, we are, we are rejoicing in the things that we go through sometimes because we know the stuff that burns in the house wasn't supposed to be there anyways. Right. You feel me? You know, it's like, it, it, um, you know, there's something eternal we're called to carry, and it's the nature of the king. And he's talking about people that really believe. They've seen me, they believe. They're going to do what I've done, and they're going to do even greater things. Yeah. But we can't just relegate that um, or delegate. One of those words works there, but we can't relegate, delegate, whatever, to, uh, that to cutting out the nature and the forgiveness that he walked in and only accepting it for power. Yeah. You know? It's like they can't be separate. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That is power. That is authority. Give us this day our bre- daily bread. That is the communication of heaven. Forgive us our trespasses and we forgive everybody who forgive us, who's trespassed on us. It's like we've come into alignment of taking nothing personal. Imagine that. Never being offended. It doesn't mean something doesn't sting sometimes. But it means that we release forgiveness and we move forward with what God has for us. Amen. He wants us to see it by faith and to lay hold on it in the here and now, our true inheritance. The one principle is to see Him as He is and by doing so, knowing His will. And the other one was to be free and clear of offense, free of every unhealed wound, every bit of rejection in order to truly be able to receive our inheritance. You know, not basically seeing him through a grid of past rejection causes us to accept less than what he has for us. We have to see. We just have to see. That's what it is. And um, I think that's going to be it for the day. But um, there's probably more. I talked through this story a couple times this week just because I was, I was so in love with it. You know, the Proverbs... 25 12 and, and Romans 12 20 re, kind of repeats it like if if your enemy is hungry give him food because it'll be fire on his head yeah. and we're like yeah finally shoot some fireballs at these people for being our enemies you know what I mean but it's 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 literally taking we're not burning them as they're getting close to us um, it's taking a page out of a, Elisha's book That's good. the fire the authority that he actually had was to feed his enemies to where they were so confused, like, well, I guess we're not going to try to kill you guys anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, the tongues of fire that are on the head of the mind of man, it's like the mind of man is, is backwards, but it's like when we live giving goodness, if your enemy's hungry, give him food, like, you know, blessing those who curse you, all these turn your cheek, these things that Jesus said, it is a mentality that causes people who are controlled by something other than the Spirit of God, that thing to catch fire on top of their head, so they start seeing clearly as well. 
You know what I mean? It changes people. You know, a lot of the conflict and stuff that we have in our life really could be allowed by the Lord because He just wants somebody to see His Son. He wants somebody to see the reaction of Jesus, His Son, in, in the imagers. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, oh man, I don't like that. I don't like... It's like, hey man, it's, it's good. As long as we manifest light, it's way more powerful. It is the chariots and the fire. It's not fireballs on, you know, steroids, you know, pop, pop, bang, bang. It's, it's, it's unlocking the mind of man to see who God truly is. And this is what we're called to do and what to walk in. Jesus demonstrated it perfectly. So that's my point for the day. Um, we have to see, you know. And when I was writing this, um, one way to see, you know, especially, you know, we are, I hate to say the C word, but we are charismatics, you know, we are spirit-filled Christians. And I know that even has been drug in such a weird majority of it's just it seems to be so weird and flaky and flighty but there's something so important about using your bible to see god yeah. it just is it is the washing of the water of this word of life by the spirit of god you know like we said last week about the showbread the bread and the sevenfold stick the menorah um in the tabernacle in a pitch back black place like the spirit illuminates the word and it transforms you you have to have a relationship to the Lord through the Bible. Not to the Bible, but to the Lord, which is confirmed and illuminated by the Scriptures. It's, it's, it's incredible. I love the supernatural. Dreams, visions, trances, visitations, all those things. Very, very real. Very, very real. But if it contradicts the Scripture, it isn't real. You know? And if it doesn't bear fruit in life, it's also not real. You know? But I just... I think a goal even today is to um, learn, is it, or something I want to throw out there was to learn how to spend time with the Lord in the Bible. You know what I mean? Using it. Not in a religious way, I've got to eat my eight chapters today, or read my two, it might be a few verses, whatever it is, but it's like using that, it, it is, it's not a Ouija board, you know what I mean? But it is alive. It comes alive. And it breathes life into you. And so, it's, um, anyways, I want to encourage that, but I think we'll leave it there today. All right. Well, Lord, we thank you for this word that is true. And I thank you for the, the promises in, in you, Lord Jesus, that are yes and amen to us. That we've stepped into this inheritance of the firstborn son, you know. That you are in us and we are in you. And um, there's no separation and the goodness that you have for us and the reality that you have for us, that even if somebody did try to block us, it could not work because you're the giver of our inheritance, Lord. Lord, I even ask that any way that we've allowed experience with people to affect us having a grid of who you are, you know, that we would actually see the grid for what it was and remove it out of the way. You know, that it would catch on fire. That the grids of our mind that cause us to filter the things you speak to us and that you show us in a way that you don't want filtered. Lord, let those things burn, we ask. Let deliverance come and healing and wholeness. And in the places where there's been rejection, that's not real. Lord, I, I ask that there would be a spiritual intelligence and emotional intelligence that we would learn that our strength is going to you in it forgiving those that have wronged and even exchanging in that place of wound allowing you to move into it to cleanse it and to fill us with what you have to fill us with that there would be Christians that operate in the spiritual authority um, that you've called us to operate in Amen Amen